This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. A special school for delinquents. Mr. Penniford makes a clucking sound. Delinquents? She doesn't like this harsh English word, which makes her think of junior gangsters. Ricky forces down a mixture of dread and anger at Mr. Penniford's insinuation. Jeremiah is a bit like her brother Labish, afraid of no one, always getting into trouble. But a criminal? Impossible. And yet she feels a chill, a speck of doubt. This is what they've struggled for all these years in America? That their son should be a no-good Nick? This is G.P. Gottlieb, host of New Books and Literature for the New Books Network. And today I'm speaking to author Julie Zuckerman about her novel in stories, The Book of Jeremiah. Julie's fiction and nonfiction has appeared, appeared in a variety of publications, and she works in product marketing for a software company. A native of Connecticut, she lives in Modane, Israel with her husband and four children. When not writing or taking care of her family, Julie can be found mountain biking, running, or baking. The Book of Jeremiah was the runner-up for the 2018 Press 53 Award for Short Fiction. And now let's delve into these stories. Hi, Julie. Thanks so much for joining me on this New Books Network podcast today. Hi, Galit. Thank you. It's great to be here. So let's get to it. Um, how did you come to write this absolutely wonderful book? And why did you structure it as a novel in stories? So I was always a big um, prompt writer. I need things from prompts. The first time I took a writing class was only about 11 years ago, and my first teacher um, gave us prompts every week, and that was perfect for me. And then my second teacher wasn't such a big believer in prompts, but I, I think I convinced him because he finally gave me one. Optional, of course, but he said, write about somebody who is definitely not you, but who is interested in doing something you're you're interested in, but maybe you don't know a lot about. So I took that prompt and I wrote a story about a black woman who was definitely not me. um, And she had like a landscape architecture business, which I like gardening. So it was fun to do that research. And I had such a good time writing that story. And I got really good feedback on it from the teacher that I decided to use the same prompt for my next story. And this time I did it a little bit closer to home. Um, I wrote from the perspective of a Jewish man who's 82, um, and he takes up one of his wife's hobbies, which is baking, which I do know something about baking. So that's um, so that the first story that I wrote is called Mixmaster, although it actually appears as the last story in the book. And then once I had written that story, I really 
I, I was just um, enamored <laughs> with the character, and I knew that I wanted to write a whole book about him but from different points in his life. And I had recently read Olive Kittredge, so that was very much in my mind, um, a novel and stories where, you know, sometimes Olive is the, the main character, sometimes she's just um, in a few lines, but I loved how each story, we, we saw another aspect of her character, so I wanted to try to do the same thing here. Hmm. So I wasn't going to ask this question now, but my favorite story of the book was Mixmaster about Jeremiah getting one and learning how to bake. But why is that the last story? Well, I played around with the structure a lot. My original idea was that it was going to be the first story and that I would go back in, in chronological, in reverse chronological order. Um, but that didn't work for a few different reasons. And after I had all 13 stories and I, was, I had like six different ways I could structure it, um, I knew I didn't want to do straight you know, forward chronological story either because Jeremiah is really a very little boy in the first story and it's it's really more of his brother's story. Um, so I, my, I had a writing, a different writing teacher who helped me kind of strategize about this and she said I should think about the book in thirds. And within every third, I should have, you know, try to find some balance between the stories of Jeremiah when he is younger, when he's older, when he's middle-aged, and also balance between the different points of views um, so there's uh, five stories that are told from his family member's point of view, one, his wife, his mother, his son, and so on. So yeah, that was easy. Once I could think about it in thirds, it was easier to, to figure out the structure. But most importantly, I also needed to find kind of thread from one story to the next. So in one story, if, say, Jeremiah's wife is pregnant with their son, um, this next story or maybe it's the story before is told from her, from the son's perspective. So, um, so that was important to me also to find kind of common threads that wove from, from story to story, sometimes thematic, sometimes characters. That's how I decided. Right. And I noticed that, that there was a connection between the stories, but they were jumping back and forth in time. Right. Did you, how did you name him Jeremiah? And did you connect in some way with the actual biblical book of Jeremiah and formulating the book? Yeah. So this, <laughs> this is a funny story. Um, the summer before I, I wrote that first story, I was working at my kid's summer camp where I also was a camper. Um, and I was like a, like a parent liaison for the youngest kids in the, in the camp. Uh, it was an overnight camp and there was a camper named Jeremiah and um, he was very homesick. Uh, it just kind of, the name just popped into my mind when I was writing the story. So that's how he, uh, the character became named Jeremiah. But then I did try to read a bit of the original book of Jeremiah and throw some things in. So if anybody can find the, <laughs> the clues, there's some, there's some phrases even that he says or things he thinks about and worries about that, that are also in the original book of Jeremiah. Wait, so you're posing this as a, a mystery for your readers? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, bonus points for anybody who finds it. <laughs> okay. So we meet Jeremiah's parents early on. The first story is from the mom's perspective. What about them informed Jeremiah's life? So Jeremiah's parents are immigrants, um, very hardworking immigrants, and um from from Eastern Europe, um, and 
they, his mom is a bit um, hard on him. One thing that's that's tough for Jeremiah, um, and I think his father to see is that his mom tends to favor his older brother, who's like, you know, the studious one, the obedient one. And Jeremiah, as a kid, is a bit more um, uh, rebellious um, or wild. Um, so that's a bit that's difficult for Jeremiah when he's a kid. Um, but he, he ends up repeating some of the same patterns, uh, when he's an adult with his own kids. Um, the other thing is his father is very, um, he's kind of jovial and good natured, not a disciplinarian, but he really wants his kids to be mensches, which is, you know, um, behave well, <clears throat> behave well towards others, I guess is the, the easiest way I can explain it. And so he hears when he, when he's not behaving well, um, and later in life, he sometimes hears his father's voice in his head saying, you know, I just want my kids should be mensches. So it, he's definitely thinking about his parents even long after they're gone. But it doesn't stop him from behaving badly. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> he's really kind of a, a a, a cranky, difficult character, but also lovable. Yeah, that, I mean, that was what I was aiming for. Um, and it's been really nice to hear from readers who've said, oh, yeah, it sounds like you were writing about my family. Because, I mean, don't, <laughs> don't we all have people in our family who are cranky but lovable? So, yeah, that, that's definitely the, the goal I was going for with his character. So his brother Lenny is important by virtue of being his brother, but they're not close and they're, he, he appears in about four of the stories. Let's talk a little bit about him. Sure. So Lenny is, <clears throat> um, I guess, a, a typical kid growing up in the depression. He's very baseball obsessed, which I think my son was similarly baseball obsessed when I was writing that story, you know, somebody, one of the kids that like knows all the stats and knows the birthday of all his favorite players and knows their middle names, you know? So <clears throat> one of my kids was like that. And, um, and, and because baseball is so important to him, he's willing to take some risks and drag his brother uh, into things with him that he, he maybe shouldn't do. This is when, when he's a kid. This is um, Lenny. Lenny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's a later story um, when Jeremiah is in the army serving in the U S army during world war two, um, where he, he comes to he, Lenny's not in there directly, but he meets a friend of Lenny's and he comes to see a whole different side of Lenny. Um and there's another story when um, that first story with his parents where, you know, it's told from his mother's point of view. So Lenny is <clears throat> the obedient child, the one who, you know, can do no wrong, who's studying hard and, you know, they're scrimping their their pennies so they can send him to college, you know, to be the first kid in the family to go to college in America. Um, so this is very, he's, he's very influential in Jeremiah's life, even though um, they aren't, they aren't close. Right. And then Molly, Jeremiah's wife, who's rock solid until she isn't. Can you talk about her strengths and weaknesses a bit? Yeah, sure. So um, as you said, she's, she, she's rock solid. I see her as like the, the stable domestic core of, of the family. Um, she's a piano teacher by training. 
Um, but we, we do see sometimes when she snaps a little bit. And we do see, I don't want to give away any spoilers, we do see an um, incident in, when she's um, younger that it might be a little surprising to, to hear about. Um, and I didn't want to paint her as only rock solid because people make foolish choices, um, even when they're rock solid people, um, that because maybe they didn't understand the dangers but uh, I, I also enjoyed kind of showing a different side of Molly in a few of the stories. I totally identified with her because I'm kind of coveting an electric guitar too. <laughs> perfect, perfect. <laughs> so, um, okay, let's see. Let's talk about Hannah, especially as she's highlighted in the story of the dutiful daughter. So that story takes place in Israel when, when Hannah's um, in her 40s and is, comes on a trip with Jeremiah and Molly. It's just the three of them on this trip, and Jeremiah, I think, is in his 70s, and Molly's a bit younger. Um, and she, Hannah is not very active Jewishly. She's married somebody who's, who's not Jewish. She hasn't given her kids any Jewish education. Uh, and Jeremiah and Molly also aren't very observant. They you know, probably... I don't say which, what kind of synagogue they belong to, but I, I envision them belonging to a reform synagogue, for example. And once, you know, their, their kids have had their bar or bat mitzvahs, they don't really continue with much Jewish education after that. So when Hannah comes to Israel in her 40s, it's her first time there. She has not connected with her Judaism very much at all. And she's she's very taken with the, the country and the history um, and kind of realizes how much she doesn't know. And she, and she develops an interest in, in maybe starting to take on a few of the traditions that her grandmothers were, were, were quite um, serious about. And I love how Jeremiah then is just like a, like, like when he was a kid, he's so sneaky mm -hmm. and, he, and he kind of pulls Hannah into his deception. Exactly. So really wonderful how he, how he, does that because to him academia is more that's his religion yes totally he's a, a workaholic um something that uh, that's another thing he got from his parents i would say because his, his parents were very hard workers but yeah academia is his religion but he's a scholar and you actually even go over some of his scholarly pursuits you want to talk about that a bit sure um, so he's a political science professor his specialty is international political economy and I was a political science major in college and I have also a master's degree in international relations and one of my favorite classes was international political economy because I guess I had a great professor so that was fun for me to kind of go back and look 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 into t types of things he could be researching mm-hmm so why is he less impressed and caring about his son than his daughter? Right. So as I said, he's, he's repeating some of the behaviors of his mother. And, and in Jeremiah's case, Hannah is the older child. And she's also you know, a good student, hardworking. She also becomes a professor of political science, by the way. And Stuart, his son, is, is more artsy. He likes, you know, he, he plays his guitar, he goes to 
um, NYU like for film school, but he doesn't really work in it after he graduates. He works as a bartender. And this is very distressing to Jeremiah. Like, why did I spend so much money on your education and you're working as a bartender? And um, he, he's really hoping that Stuart will find somebody and, and get his act together and, and settle down. Can you talk a little bit about Jer- Jeremiah wanting to join the FBI? Yeah. Oh, it's the CIA, actually. Uh, yeah. The CIA. Um, and when Jeremiah is um, a student at Columbia, he's doing his master's degree, thinking he's going to do like a master's PhD. Um, and he's studying the clandestine services during World War II. Um, and his professor suggests, you know, it was right when... Um, Truman, I think it was, maybe it was Eisen. No, yeah, Byron Truman had signed um, the signed into law the creation of of the CIA. And his professor suggests to him, well, you know, there, you know, we need you know bright young men um, to continue to serve their country. And he gets enamored with this idea, and he has a he goes through a few rounds of interviews, and they're very tough interviews. And um, of course, his that's not what he ultimately ends up doing with his life um, because there's a few things that that spoil it for him or he thinks have spoiled it for him. Um, But he was, he he never loses that desire to be accepted in Washington. He really wants to be part of it, part of the action. And um, we see that in a few other stories also. Right. He ends up back in Washington as a, um, is he accompanying? He's chaperoning Hans yeah. eighth grade um, or yeah, something like that. Um, so, so he does finish his PhD, and, but he doesn't go right into academia. He first gets a job um, in the National Security Council, I think it is. Um, but after a few years there, he does relocate his family to the Berkshires, and he takes this job in academia. So then fast forward to when Hannah is in 10th grade and he is the chaperone on her like 10th grade honors history class to Washington. And they go around and, and see all the sites and have, you know, um, tours of the state department. And this is right at the tail end of the Vietnam war. So I bring in parts of, of that. Yeah, that was, that was a powerful story. Uh, can you address how guilt permeates through the whole book? Sure. Um, so uh, Starting with Jeremiah's mother, Ricky, she, even though she favors Lenny, she feels terribly guilty about this. Um, and this is passed on uh, to Jeremiah. And then when, when, um, when he behaves badly, he does feel a bit guilty. Um, and he tries to make amends. Um, his, I think all the characters, when, when they do, when they behave badly, uh, feel guilty about it afterwards. Um, there's a there's a story where Molly um, does something, or it's revealed that she's done something, and she feels horrible about it. And she basically she basically goes into a depression about about her guilt, um, and she's so embarrassed about it. She she doesn't tell Jeremiah what she's done until it comes out later. I love how Jeremiah just can't figure it out, and he goes to the worst things he can possibly imagine. Right. Right for what's causing her, her, you know, kind of change in personality. And he, he comes up with all kinds of terrible possibilities. 
never gets close to what it really is. Correct, right? He he would never he would never guess. He couldn't imagine because he he puts Molly on on a bit of a pedestal, and he feels very lucky that she's chosen him. Um, he's not you know very social. Once he he comes back from. Uh, World War II, and he starts his studies. He's not, he, he's very into his work and he's not so social and he doesn't have a lot of girlfriends. And lo and behold, he meets Molly and, and they start dating and, and, and they get married, but he feels so lucky that, you know, this nice, uh, pretty, smart Jewish girl has chosen him. So he doesn't, he can't see her, her failings, um, very clearly, but this story kind of changes changes all of that. We start to see her a little more clearly. There's everything is connected to everything else. So um, his C, you know his CIA dreams are connected to a cousin, and then in the next story, the cousin is on trial, and it's Molly's father who's representing the cousin. Something like that. That's everybody's connected. Right, right. That's how he, and he meets, Molly uh, goes to Barnard, which is where I went to school. So he does meet her um, in the library um, by chance, but he doesn't know her name, but you know, she's like working behind the desk or something uh, while he's getting his master's degree. But then later, and it's, it's all in the same story, actually. Um, later, he sees her at the trial because she's there because for, for her father um, and he's there for his cousin and they remember you know, seeing each other in the library. I have to say, she, as I said, she was the one I identified with most. And I, I was blown away by her surprise. Mm-hmm, right. but what was going on, <laughs> I, I also, and she's my generation. I'm thinking like, what could it be? Uh-huh. Didn't see it coming. Okay. So um, the stories you tell are, are through all the different viewpoints, but Jeremiah's always there. Is there one story with which you most identify? Oh, that's a tough one. I, I guess I also identify with Molly more than with the other female characters, but the, I mean, setting wise and um, surrounding, you know, family members wise, um, I do like the first story, A Strong Hand and Outstretched Arm, which takes place in 1938, because it reminds me of my grandparents a lot. Um, and I do like the Dutiful Daughter one, which takes place in Israel, which is very familiar to me. It was fun to describe, you know, what I see every day. Um, and of course, Mixmaster, since it's the first story I wrote and there's all that baking, um, I, I identify with that one a lot too. So... What makes Jeremiah such a compelling character? And this is a little off the wall, but who would play him in the movie? So Jeremiah, what makes him compelling is that he's he's very cranky, um, but lovable. Like he's he's kind of the guy that maybe connects better with children than adults when he's when he's an adult. Um, he, you know loves his grandchildren, for example, but he might be temperamental with his own children or, um, and he loves horsing around with them. I don't even think this is in the book, but in my mind, this is how I see him. (laughs) Um, um, so, uh, who would play him in the movie? I see somebody like Ed Asner, may rest in peace, (laughs) but when he's old, but there's different characters because- He's so many different ages. 
Yeah. Ooh. Maybe Mandy, Mandy Patinkin. Yeah. Also as an old that guy. Would be, yeah. Okay. So you have to start choice, with the old guy choice. and find mm-hmm. actors mm-hmm. to play him at all the different points of his life. Right? Yes. What a fun book. So what are you working on next? So I do have a novel draft um, that takes place in Israel. I'm not sure where where I'm going with it. I it's 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 a full draft, and I'm trying to get through an, an entire first revision. But it's it's been a bit of a struggle, and I've kind of put that on the back burner for now. So I've been working on some essays and some flash fiction stories. But I do hope to get back to the novel in the next few months. Okay. Well, best of luck to you. I look forward to reading what you come up with next. And thank you so much for joining me today on this New Books podcast. Thank you, Gully. It's been great to be here. And thank you for joining me on this New Books Network podcast. Again, I'm GP Gottlieb, and I've been talking with Julie Zuckerman, author of The Book of Jeremiah, a novel in stories. Join the New Books Network for podcasts across a spectrum of subjects. And have fun reading.